0: Welcome to the Black Doctor Collective Podcast. We as Black doctors are in a unique position. We can change our communities, healthcare, and the world. Of course, we start by changing the way we see and value ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Shanika Horn, pediatrician and physician coach, travel extraordinaire. I am so happy to have you here and listening. So let's get into it. Welcome back to another guest episode in season two of the Black Doctor Collective podcast. This week, we have Dr. Aisha Lovick, who grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. She received her undergraduate degree from Hampton University and her medical degree from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She completed her residency in general surgery at Atlanta Medical Center, followed by a fellowship in critical care at Emory University. In addition to general surgery and trauma surgery, she's the Associate Trauma Medical Director for Moses Cone Hospital in Greensboro, North Carolina, and works as a trauma surgeon, general surgeon, and critical care specialist. Dr. Lovick's interests include medical education, global surgery, real estate investing, and community service, especially with her beloved sorority, Delta Sigma Theta. Okay, so I'm so excited, Dr. Lovick, to have you here on this episode. I have obviously spoken to you previously, and I feel like you just have such a unique perspective that the audience needs to hear. So let's just get started. Tell me your story and your journey getting into medicine and through medicine.
1: Well, first, thanks for having me. I always wanted to be a doctor. I didn't really have any doctors in my family, but I have a grandmother who who is a nurse. And my brother was actually mortuary of science in my older years, but no physicians in the family, but somehow had this drive to want to become a doctor. Personally, I think it was divinely appointed, this drive, but... I kind of went through the process of becoming a doctor a little bit blind, which I think (laughs) is not uncommon in the African-American community, just because African-American children typically have less access to family members or friends who, or family friends who are physicians. So yeah, that was my experience. I kind of stumbled into general surgery, which is my specialty, and then kind of stumbled even further into trauma surgery, which is my subspecialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the things that I love about those two are are really just being able to have kind of an immediate impact on patients in terms of their care. I mean, trauma surgery is like the ultimate fix-it Kind of job, people come in exactly. dead or dying, and you make them <laughs> not dead or not dying very rapidly. So I really, I really like that instant gratification aspect of my job. But the other aspect that I really enjoy about trauma surgery specifically is that the patient population, that is a high percentage of trauma patients, is often under resourced, not usually as medically literate, or in some areas, just regular literate, they oftentimes don't have the social support that we would Desire for the general population. They oftentimes are dealing with a lot of mental illness. And I like to be very specific when I talk about mental illness because there doesn't seem to be quite enough appreciation about substance use and substance abuse as a part of mental illness. And so that's, I think, a high percentage of my patient population as well. And as an African American in this country, I think that there is a piece of kind of feeling like an underdog, even for myself. And in my mind, trauma patients are oftentimes the underdog mm-hmm. and need an advocate. And I enjoy the opportunity to be an advocate for those patients.
0: I love that. I think it's so funny because as soon as you said that, I, I immediately resonated with it but I don't even think I thought oh I see myself as the underdog but as you said it I'm like yeah I definitely identify (laughs) that's a lot of therapy girl we have been been through a lot of sessions to kind of pull that through (laughs) I fully support anyone in therapy I too love therapy and Oh gosh. I feel like as a Black person in America, like we all, I mean, everybody needs Every therapy. Every Black but...
1: person in America needs therapy. And there are a lot of people who are not Black who also need therapy, but yes.
0: I, that's, that's a topic for another day, I think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I also love what you said about, well, I think I talked about this probably in my first season of my podcast about really not knowing what it was like to be a doctor and and that greatly is influenced by the fact that right we don't have doctor role models in our immediate family or someone that we can access and part of you know the reason behind the black doctor and the things we're trying to do is because we are all first generation somethings right everyone's trying to figure it out so what would be your advice for someone who's starting
1: so I think it depends on the stage,
0: right? And I have
1: mentees at various stages of their education. Mm-hmm. I think that my youngest mentee is still in high school. Mm-hmm. At her stage, I, don't, I think it's less important to focus on how do I get into medicine and more important to focus on what do I like? What do I enjoy? What makes me happy? Right. And how can I figure out how to make money doing that thing? Yeah, yeah. I think the one thing to remember throughout all of those stages is, number one, you have to be happy. I think that is the most important thing. I think yeah. there are a lot of people who encourage people to go into medicine and or stay in medicine, mm-hmm. even when they're not happy. And yeah. I I don't support that at all. I think being happy is most important. And I also think that you can figure out a way to be happy that doesn't necessarily fit the kind of classic definition of, of how to achieve that either. So I love my job. There is absolutely nothing that I would rather do every day. And if I couldn't do my job every day, or even most days, I would be unhappy but not everybody feels that way. And I think that we should encourage people to explore those aspects of life that make them happy and, and also kind of try to figure out how to incorporate them into their job or
0: incorporate them into their source of income. I going to say into all their life practices <laughs> in every possible way.
1: Yeah, figuring out what makes you happy and figuring out how to make that, make that aspect of your life that makes you happy, make you money also is is really the key.
0: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I love that the mentorship portion that you focus a lot on, you know, what is bringing that person joy. So what do you get out of being a mentor? So
1: it's funny you ask that because I have this conversation with some regularity because I think that there are a lot of mentorship programs out there um, and especially within the African American community and i think that the premise of these kind of programs and i don't think that it's malintended in any way mm-hmm. um, but i think that the premise of these programs is that the mentee is the more junior or younger person the more inexperienced person Mm -hmm. And they are the person who's gaining value out of the relationship. Right. And I personally disagree with that. I I do too. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the most valuable mentorship relationships fully recognize, acknowledge, and I'm going to use like an administrative term, lean into the Mm -hmm. bi-directionality of Mm -hmm. a mentoring relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I actually really appreciate my mentoring relationships because they also provide
0: value to me yeah so the reason I initially asked was because I felt like I get a lot out of the mentorship relationship that I mean I can't say for sure what my mentees are getting out of it right they have a goal when they come to the relationship and I have a goal to help them reach that thing but I feel like you know in those relationships I get a lot of my own fulfillment and like you know, positive emotions from that interaction, reaching back or having that connection with people that were where you used to be. I like the perspective of using it to glean what makes people happy and what makes people successful, especially when it doesn't necessarily align with our definition of what is successful. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <So, laughs> I think it helps to, if you're intentional about it, it can really kind of broaden your worldview. Yes. And I think we could all, all
0: benefit from a, a broadened world view. Yes, we can. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, you know, it's so easy to forget where you were and what you don't know. Yes. And so, so far, <laughs> therapy, yes. Mentorship, yes. <laughs> all of the things. I was, you know, I was going to ask you, what do you think made you successful? But I feel like you've already answered all of that in how you chose your job and how you look at the way that you engage in things and deciding to engage in the thing that you love that also makes you money and in your involvement in community. So with all of those things in place, right, that obviously leads to joy in your own life because you've made those decisions. Um, What do you say towards people who are unhappy but haven't necessarily made the decision to do something about it or if they've made the decision to do something about it they are not sure exactly how to get to that place right everything that I think we've talked about so far are a lot of those things that they need to get to a better place like the therapy Mm -hmm. the doing what you love the mentorship are there other things that you think I guess physicians maybe black physicians should consider as their you know, evaluating their current job as, as a physician and like what brings them joy and where they are in their careers.
1: So I think I am like the biggest proponent of therapy. And I I think I'm going to just going to circle back to that Mm -hmm. and say that I think it really kind of starts with some true self-reflection and figuring out what exactly is making you unhappy. Mm -hmm. Uh, One would argue that the majority of Black physicians, speaking specifically to the Black physician, mm-hmm. um, one would argue that most Black physicians have not ended up in the field of medicine by happenstance. Right. Somewhere along the way, you like something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Whatever that thing was, taking it all the way back and figuring out what that thing was and figuring out how to get more of that into your life. Whether that's I want to operate more and see less patients in clinic, or I want to be more impactful in health policy as opposed to clinical work, or research or whatever it is that kind of got you into medicine um, and propelled you through the arduous, lengthy Hmm. journey to and through becoming a physician, figuring out what that is, and then figuring out how to incorporate more of that. And I think that specifically for the Black physician, there is this huge challenge from a financial piece. That need, that expectation of giving back financially mm-hmm. matters so much. Um, the financial aspect plus the emotional, I- I'm going to call it what it is, burden mm. that you are a physician and therefore you are this golden child who has arrived and everyone is so proud to say that you're Uh a physician and this concept of I don't want to do that anymore because this is not bringing me joy but that emotional burden of of being able to say to someone else that I don't want to do this anymore. This doesn't bring me joy. I did that is, statement. <laughs> that's really difficult, especially when there has been a tremendous amount of sacrifice to get you to that point, right? Because, right. like I was saying, there's a there's a community of people behind you, yeah. um, behind you who who are so proud to see you in that position. And I, I think that generations go by, we don't always appreciate the luxury that the new The newest generation has. And the elder generation, while they deserve their flowers and their respect for what they have done, there is not always that appreciation of this doesn't bring me joy anymore. And I have to change so that I can get joy. Because the generation before us worked and did the things that they had to do, whether or not they wanted to. Of course. That mentality has enabled this generation to be able to do things that we want to do, not that we have to do. Yeah. And so it, it and becomes very hard for them yeah. to conceptualize the fact that I've worked
0: so hard for you to get where you are and you don't want to do this anymore. I mean, it's a new privilege, right? That's one of the, like you said, and, and I think in the, this happens a lot in our community is that We work hard for our kids to have more things. It's working for the next generation, right? Mm -hmm. But the expectation is that they're going to do it the way we think is best. Exactly. Exactly. Not in the way that's
1: best for them. For
0: them or allowing them to enjoy the privileges that the work that you have done and the foundation that you have laid allows them. So I think that that is so powerful. Yeah. So how do you, how would you advise or coach someone on through something like that, right? So a lot of us have internalized the attitudes of our parents. Mm-hmm. Even if we think okay this thing doesn't make us happy, we still think okay but everyone sacrificed so I have to self-sacrifice. So, so-
1: yeah. Again, therapy, and I would argue <laughs> yes. encouraging your family members to go to therapy too. But you can't, as my mother would say, you can't make grown folk do. So you can only control yourself. So right. you got to go to therapy for yourself, and you got to be able to be be able and willing to to stand in that commitment that mm-hmm. I'm going to do what's best for me, and I'm going to do what makes me happy, mm-hmm. um, and I personally think I'm one of those people who has like rose, rose colored glasses and a very optimistic view. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, this may not be accurate, but in my mind, it is that Mm -hmm. if you're happy, then the people around you will figure out a way to be happy. It's not your responsibility to figure out how to get them to be happy for you. It's just your responsibility to be happy.
0: Yeah. And if you're happy,
1: then everything else will fall in place.
0: I think happiness is a new concept that some people still don't connect to. And like like you said, you know, m- all of our previous generations didn't necessarily get that option.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so us in our in our new way are learning I guess how to navigate our own happiness in a way that sometimes means that other people will not be happy with us and that is something right. that I think people need a lot of like coaching or help or advising through? Yes. And I think that we as
1: African-Americans tend to avoid the therapy space. I think we have a culture of kind of keeping things in as an individual and then also kind of a unit. Things, things yeah. stay in the family, quote unquote. Right. um air your dirty and and all that. yeah, yeah and i I don't think that that's that's fair or valid or mainly useful. because yeah or useful mainly because you, you just like anything else, you don't know what you don't know, right And Absolutely. so if you're only talking to the people who've only had the same experiences as you, right. then it becomes very difficult to even fathom a reality that's different because right. you you have nothing to go off of. And I would say a therapy relationship is also difficult finding a therapist, mm-hmm. making time to continue that therapy relationship. It's right. difficult to open up again, especially when you're coming from a community of people who kind of frown and tiss on on people who go to therapy. It's hard. It's hard to do the work, but it's so worth it. It's so completely worth it. Being able to be a better version of yourself every day, being able to, even for me, being able to look back one year, two years, five years, 10 years and say, oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh, I'm so much better. And then also say, oh, I got some work to do though. (laughs) We haven't arrived yet. It's it's, sometimes kind of fun to say, you know, I can see this grove Uh, kind of like a child grow. you know, oh my goodness, Uh, they're so tall. It's fun to watch. And I think that it's it's even more fun when it's yourself mm-hmm. to be able to say, wow, yeah, I would never have responded that way five years ago. Right. And to also say, I don't want to respond like this now. And in five years, I will be responding differently and it will come naturally, mm-hmm. you know,
0: it's very that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So I think anyone listening obviously understands why you are able to enjoy your life and what you do. Are there any other things that you think personally have led to your success? Let me actually go back just a step because this is probably going to fit into that answer.
1: So I talked a little bit about the emotional aspect of kind of being the doctor who's arrived in the family. And I kind of briefly brushed over the financial piece. So you're as the person who has arrived, you are now the doctor. And so everyone thinks that you, you know, make a million (laughs) dollars tax-free and uh, you can now support everyone who has your last name, had your last name, or will have your last name, which (laughs) is absolutely not realistic, but there's a a necessary management of those expectations. The emotional piece also plays into that, but there is a reality of the financial obligation that many feel and many oh, yeah. actually have. Yeah. I think there needs to be, for us as Black physicians, a separation between what's necessary and what is recommended. Right. Uh, and you cannot, there's so many different analogies or, or sayings. You cannot pour from an empty cup. You have to put your own face mask on before helping others. Whatever version of that it is that you want to do, it's absolutely true. Yes. You cannot be for others financially until you are financially secure for yourself. And for me, it, it has become really important to make sure that those expectations are really tempered with my family. I do feel an emotional obligation to provide as much as I possibly can for the people who have sacrificed so much for me to be here. Right. The people who were driving me to and from all of my little extracurricular activities. <laughs> or You know, I mean, even the little yeah. things, they right. matter, yeah. they add up yeah. and you really do that that emotional sense of duty um, mm-hmm. Is massive, especially when you're looking at these people, whether they're family or, or community members who've committed so much to you and are so proud of you as right. they, as they're getting older and they're not able to do for themselves, you want to do for them. And I think that that is, that's honorable. It does require, you know, a, a healthy dose of reality to say, I want to do this, but if I do this in the long run, I'm harming myself. Yeah. And, and finding that balance. Right. So for myself, I, I created a budget where Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I I would love for my mother to not have to do anything. My dad is deceased. So I only have one parent and I would love for my mother to not have to have a single financial care in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's possible. And if I actually, you know, achieve that five seconds out of residency, then I will be poor for the remainder of my natural born life. And so it became what's realistic about what I can give away, because I love to give. Yeah. I don't spend money on myself, but I will spend on other people all the Absolutely. time. I literally yeah. bought yeah. the entire ICU lunch yesterday. I mean, it's, I, I love to give. Um, yes. And so you can, there's a saying that you can't give yourself into poverty. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you absolutely can.
0: Yes, you can.
1: So, so creating a budget that says, okay, I really want to provide, but in order to provide better, I need to secure my own um, provisions. And so creating a budget that says, this is what I'm going to give and anything over this, I cannot and to be very, very strict about finances. And I think some of that comes from the household in which I grew up where money was tight. And my mom is like the ultimate budgeter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 that must be genetic because I've certainly inherited it from her. But being able to say, I need to figure out how I can financially sustain myself so that I can financially sustain more people, whether that's giving back to someone who's coming up through education and being able to pay for their schooling at a private school or pay for their college or pay for their books or pay for their medical school or create an endowment fund or whatever it is that you want to do, you have to secure yourself first. And in order to do that, you have to continue to be a little bit, a little bit, quote unquote, selfish. I don't really think that it's selfish. It's actually more giving. To be able to hold back in the moment
0: so right. that you can give more later. Yes. Yeah. So, first of all, I would like to say I don't think budgeting is genetic. Give mama credit because she taught you how to do it, modeled <laughs> the behavior, she gave you all the steps, she definitely imparted that knowledge for you. That she did. That <laughs> she did. Give her behavior that credit. She came through on the life lessons. For right. sure. And I also want to say that, well, two things, you know, we have all these conversations about boundaries and the boundary being like, if you say no, people feel this guilt about saying no, but really what saying no initially allows you to do is say yes to something even better later. And so recognizing that in not bankrupting yourself early, you would be better for everyone. Yeah. And then also redefining what it means to have made it especially to our families who are not in medicine. So if you think that just because I graduated something that I have now made it, (laughs) or I just started making my first full paycheck that I have now made it, and now you can shift that financial burden onto that person, that's probably not the best time. And it's really important for us to recognize that for ourselves and define that and say, well, okay, I need to make very clear definitions of when I will be able to help and who I will be able to help so that everything that I have worked for and that they have supported you in working for doesn't crumble. Right. Because it's like, you can support me to I get to this point, but if you then deplete me, then we are still at a, at a next right. then, then
1: all of it was for nothing, right? Like,
0: yeah. So that is such a powerful point. I think that's something that we all need to hear and define for ourselves. What does it mean to be financially successful in a way that supports my family and what they need, but also make sure that I have some self-preservation built in? Absolutely.
1: And it's hard to, it's hard to focus on that self-preservation when you're so rooted in the emotional sense of duty, sense of responsibility. I think there can be a balance. It's hard, uh, but there can be a balance.
0: Yeah. Where do you think you find that balance? (sighs) (laughs) The heavy side. I I don't know.
1: I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there are certain things that I that for me are mandatory. There's certain family members, mm-hmm. and there are certain financial things that I will not let slip. For yeah. I'll give a real simple example: for my mom, there will never be a day where she will not have the health care that she needs.
0: Right.
1: Whether that's you know paying for insurance, I personally pick out her Medicare plan every. Oh my god, and it's so complicated. So complicated. Don't get, don't get me started. I'm like. I can't figure this out, and I'm a whole doctor. Me right too. Now, and I don't understand how they expect people over the age of 65 to filter through all these ridiculous like, Anyway, I'm getting people
0: off topic. People below a certain reading level or people with no medical knowledge. It's just, like, yes. It's ridiculous.
1: I'm like, I'm a whole doctor, and I had to sit. I literally had to sit down with one of the social workers at my hospital, like, yes. help me understand. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's yes. so complicated. Yes, to all of that. I had someone <laughs> ask if, you know, we as doctors got, better insurance. And I was like, absolutely not. We get the same insurance as everyone else. And we also do not understand it. Exactly. Exactly. But I
1: made, a I made a decision for myself that from a healthcare standpoint, that was something that I absolutely would not allow to lapse for my mother, that she would not go without being able to be able to go to the doctor, to the dentist, to have a hearing aid, to have a cataract surgery, to have whatever it is. If it was medical related, I don't care how much it costs. um, She's going to get it. Yeah. He, and, and that, that decision was tested very early. Three, two months after graduating from fellowship, my mom had a fall. Actually, she had the fall. I don't know. Anyway, she had a fall shortly after I graduated from residency. Excuse me, graduated from fellowship. Mm-hmm. I had signed a contract with my new job, but I hadn't started yet. And she was recommended for inpatient rehab and her insurance was denying her for it. Yep. And it ended up that I had to come out of pocket, $12,000 wow. for her to go to rehab for like 10 days. It was ridiculous. ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. 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 It's but I had made that pact that I yeah. don't care how much it costs. Yeah, My mother will not go without healthcare. Yeah. Now, that being said... If you want the newest, you know, purse or shoes or whatever, I can't give you that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But figuring out where those boundaries are, what is a must for you as an individual, and also kind of figuring out what that is for that family member as well. I think that's also difficult is that people have a varied view on what is necessity, Yeah, And so as a physician, I view healthcare as a necessity, but the, the person who I am, and this is just my relationship with my family. This is probably very different in other families, but in my family, we are on the same page with that. But in other families, I, as a physician, may view healthcare as the most important, but the person who I'm talking to or trying to help, may view the newest purse as most (laughs) important. And so I need to say, I'm willing to contribute this dollar amount and what you do with it is on you and allow them to make those kind of decisions that you don't necessarily agree with. Or to, I'm committed to X task or Thing that's going to benefit you and I'm going to contribute my funds directly to that and yeah. you're just going to have to be mad that I'm not giving you the money to spend
0: on whatever else yeah it's hard it's very it's hard. hard oof the amount of times people will try you and test your boundaries boy <laughs> oh, no. definitely hard I think people will in, really enjoy this conversation because I don't know how many people especially in medicine, feel very happy with their careers right now. So to hear from someone who is happy and how you have arrived there are clutch. Is there anything else you, you think that our Black doctor community needs to hear? Hmm. I think that one thing that's important is that
1: we have arrived as black physicians we are black physicians that cannot be taken away from us mm-hmm. we deserve so much for what we've been through to get here because mm-hmm. every black physician i know has been through a lot yep and while i recognize that you want and you deserve so much mm-hmm. continuing to maintain spirit of it, mm especially financial restraint Mm, is important to be able to propel you to the next level for yourself, for your children, for your existing family, for the people who helped you arrive. Yeah. I have to maintain that level of restraint in order to have longevity. Yeah. Having that restraint, especially financially is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, having that restraint financially is what will allow you to step out of a position that you don't like. Step out of a position that's not healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, step step out of a position that that no longer serves you. But if you are if your expenses outpace your income every month yeah. or approach your income every month, you don't have that that luxury. You don't have yeah. the wiggle room to be able to make any kinds of shifts. Mm -hmm. So having that restraint, being able to have those funds privately, just kind of sitting in cash, I don't recommend that, but having those funds to invest and have an additional source of income is what for me has enabled me at least some level of flexibility to say, yeah, I don't think it's working for me anymore. (laughs) While my current job is working for me quite well, if it changed, I do have the the luxury to be able to say, okay, well, I'm going to change too.
0: Right. Amen to that. Well, you heard it here first. The important (laughs) thing to do is in breaking a generational cycle, especially for us when it comes to like poverty or any kind of financial disadvantage is to maintain those financial boundaries with your family and also with yourself. Yes. (laughs) Yourself might be the hard
1: one, y'all. It might be, it might be.
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation with you. I think that there are so many gems that people will pick out of this discussion. So what do you think is next for you? I'm not sure yet. It's funny that you ask that because- Ten or fifteen years ago, I would have had my
1: entire life like <laughs> laid out, and I could have told you exactly what the plan was. Mm-hmm. But I think growth has allowed me to be more open to whatever comes. Amazing. So I'm prepared for
0: or I'd like to think I'm prepared for whatever's next. And we'll see. I'm awesome. excited for it though, whatever it is. That sounds amazing. This is life goals. This is where you want to be, determining what makes you happy, determining, how to make your money, where to spend your money, all of that. So amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate having you on. This has been excellent. Thanks for the chat. Yes. Dr. Lovick, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And what I want you to do next is write a review. I'm going to make this so easy for you. Just go ahead and give me five stars, but also leave a comment that tells me how we can be off the charts. I want you to link us everywhere you can. Instagram at the Black Doctor, the Black Doctor website to join our newsletter. Just become part of our collective. I want you here. Thanks. Until next time. Bye.